I think people are rightfully like suspect of anybody selling them anything like right away they just don't believe you and so you have to give them reason to believe you and i was actually watching a a perry belcher video last night where he was talking about people buy your philosophy first and if they buy your philosophy then they'll buy whatever wares you're hawking or selling it to them the mold entrepreneur evolved podcast get on it and we're back with the Moved Entrepreneur Evolve podcast. And today we've got Jason Moffitt. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Chilling out here in Maui. Uh, couldn't get much better, I would say. Yeah, I was, um, I was actually out in Hawaii on New Year's of last year. Now, this one the year before, so it was right during the pandemic. And I was telling people I was in Waikiki and I was right there on the strip. And I was telling people, I was like, it's not normally like this. I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, it's not like this. There was literally no one there. So hopefully people are coming back a little bit. Yeah, they are. I'm curious. I don't know what it's like in Waikiki, but I know here in Wailuku on New Year's, like the fireworks are insane. Oh, yeah. Like that there. Yeah, they were firing off. They take them right off that uh, right off that surf point right there uh, by the outrigger. Yeah, I've surfed that break, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty fun break. It's a pretty fun break. So I'm going to see if I get this right. Direct response copywriter, NFT course creator has been a transfer for you. Surfer and guitar strummer for life. Is that, is that some things up pretty good? Yeah, that's pretty much. Um, this guitar one is a, a trip. I spent 30 years playing guitar and I never learned a single song from beginning to end. I'm like a poster child for ADHD. And uh, I had this weird thing happen to me like a year and a half ago. So I actually, you see a bunch of guitar stuff behind me. This is our guitar studio. I have a business partner named Jimmy Dillon. He's been playing for probably 50 years played with actually, it's funny. I actually have uh, the YouTube video up. He played the 1993 presidential inauguration ball, Bill Clinton. And I'm sitting here watching the video and he's playing with Bob Dylan and Levon Helms on drums from the band and just like and playing right next to Bill Clinton. And um, he's just had this amazing career throughout his whole life. And uh, so I met him. This crazy Maui magic organic thing happened. Uh, He had already had like 20 DVDs he had created and. but it, it kind of fizzled that business. And we got to talking. I asked him, like, well, who'd you create these DVDs with? He's like, oh, this guy, Matt in Panama. I'm like, Gallant? He's like, yeah, how do you know him? I was like, I know everybody. And he's like, yeah. So I called Matt. Or actually, Matt had called me a week before because he wanted to connect with Kern about an advertising deal. I was like, I'll hook you up with Kern if you sell me the business. So I got into the guitar business. I felt so inadequate that I couldn't play alongside my friend because I'm just a neurotic idiot when it comes to guitar. So I asked myself, what would happen if I applied all the same hypnosis techniques that I apply in our law of attraction and hypnosis business to guitar? And I was like, that's an interesting thought. And so I started doing it. Mm. And what happened is I learned like 2000 songs. And granted, I don't know them all by heart, but I played them from beginning to end. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and then I actually went to GoDaddy and I'm like, I wonder if guitarhypnosis.com is available. No way. Sure shit, it was. 
And I was like, what? And so I got that. So I'm actually in the middle of creating a guitar hypnosis course right now as well, because, you know, the target market for that is 40 to 60 year old guys with extra cash. And they just want to learn a CCR song. They're not trying to. Well, it's just like what you, it's exactly what you said. It's like, I played for the first year. I decided like, you know, dexterity was the most important. So I played three hours a day for a year, did my scales, kept it, stayed acoustic. And then from there, you know, I was like, okay, now I got to learn songs. But then you just kind of, it's really weird. You just kind of get into this play around and you just, then you're like, wait, I didn't learn shit. (laughs) 30 years, 30 years of doing that for me. And so um, I realized too, um, and when you think about, the guys that rip at guitar or all the teachers that teach guitar, what do they all have in common? They all learned when they were like 10, 11, 12 years old, when your brain was still malleable. Mm -hmm. I'm like old farts. I'm like, your brain don't work anymore. I'm like, you can't even put together Ikea furniture. How do you think you're going to learn all this? (laughs) And the directions are right there. Yeah. And so, um, but on a serious note, when you just look at scientifically how the brain works, um, it doesn't work so well as you age. And so you have to use tricks and hypnosis and different things to build new synaptic connections in the mind. And then you can learn. So I don't think that there are heart. I can't find a single guitar teacher that teaches beginners very well. I can find you a ton that teach intermediates that, that are brilliant That's at true. it, but, but getting someone like me to learn, or if you had to teach Homer Simpson how to play guitar, very few of these people can do it because they don't know what it's like to they be forget. frustrated. Yeah. They, yeah, they, they don't have that experience. In fact, my friend brought it up yesterday. He's fascinated with uh, the Beatles he's recreating these Beatles songs and whatnot. And he, uh, he actually has like the same bass Paul McCartney plays on, but he takes it to the next level. He started playing left-handed and he's like, dude, now I understand what somebody who's just uh, starting yeah. is like. I was like the empathy level for that. He's like, I, he's like, I couldn't even imagine trying to do this. Well, unfortunately, I'm belly, belly up down the street. We're going to go see modest Yahoo on the 28th so we got some good music here in san diego fortunately right around the corner it, it, it belly up that's a great club yeah so i got one for you i'm gonna do a little uh brain jar for you let's see um right. let's see if this if, if you remember any of this so let's see if i can play it here most ridiculous offer i've ever made it's labor day i'm working today not really i'm working no seriously i really am Summer is over and it's time to kick this baby in gear. I've always been a contrarian of sorts. So I figured, well, while everybody is taking the day off, I'll get my butt to work. Today, I'm making the most ridiculous offer I've ever made in my life. It's not the prettiest, fanciest or shiniest offer ever, but it's it's the best damn value I have ever seen. When do you think you wrote that? Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've written, I write so much. I have absolutely no. Well, I, I was trying to give you a little, uh, uh, I was trying to impress you a little bit. 2010, September of 2010, you know, that, that whole stuck in Labor Day, that was pretty good. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just honestly, I, 
Yeah, well, I, I guess mean, I guess I, the reason I was bringing it up, what was going on with Jason Moffat in 2010? People that know the copywriting world, you've been in this game for a long time. A lot of people have looked at your stuff, looked up to you, learned from you. And, you know, a lot of the things that you share and you've gone through and things like that, it's just incredible stories. What was going on during the time of that? Because this show is a lot about the evolution of the entrepreneur. Gotcha. I think, you know, uh, all the years are, are kind of fuzzy. Um, and obviously, you know, COVID times has made 10, 2010 seem like 1883. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that was actually around the time. I was living actually in Carlsbad, right by you on the Botticos Lagoon, right above uh, the North Pano, South Pano Jetty. I could see the, the left break right from my bed at that moment. And I was dating uh, an amazing woman who was, I think she was turning right about 30 at that time. And she, you know, started thinking about her life and wanting to maybe have a baby and, and be married. And I, I knew I wasn't quite ready and, and I knew that she deserved for me to not string her along. And so I decided, and also my personal assistant who worked for me at the time, um, I had this brilliant thing too. I've been a live stream OG since like 2007 on like Ustream and Justin TV, way before Facebook ever even existed. I used to be a, a full-time live streamer and um I on my website, I used to have my customer service guy live stream eight hours a day. So if you ever had a question about a product or a service, like you didn't have to submit a ticket and wait 24 hours and you didn't have to just talk to a little chat box in the morning in the corner. You had an actual person on the screen you could connect with. I've never seen anybody else do it. It was so far ahead of its time. But anyways, Ryan was a great uh, assistant for me. He decided to transition on and go work with his church and which left me to like run the business. And we built my website, I think on Joomla. I had no idea. I remember Joomla. Joomla. Yeah. I had Weber no days. Oh my, I had no desire to try to learn Joomla. I didn't even want to do any work at all. Um, other than write silly emails like you, that you just read. And um, so I decided to break up with my girlfriend. We, um, it's funny, we actually were at Andy Jenkins' wedding and everyone's like, when are you guys getting married? And we're like, actually, we're, we're breaking up. I'm like, you want to come to our breakup barbecue? And, uh, and they're like, what? And I'm like, well, I love her so much. And she's become friends with everybody's wives and whatnot. And I was like, most times when people break up, they start divvying out friends. And I'm like, I want her to maintain all the friendships and all the connections that she has. We still love each other. I don't want you to feel like, you know, you have to pick friends. So it was like, so come to our breakup barbecue and realize that this is a healthy split. It was like a conscious uncoupling before Gwyneth and Cole playboy did it yeah and, and it was really mature and it really actually um it was a great party and what i ended up doing i ended up buying an rv at first actually i remember i was looking for office space on garnett and pb and um you know for it was about 1500 bucks a month for just like a typical like cubicle nothing fancy yeah and i was like 1500 bucks a month for an uninspiring office space. Uh -huh. I was like, 
I wonder what kind of boat I could get for fifteen hundred bucks. I was like, could I make an office down right on there, the marina? Yeah. I mean, you've got a harbor right around the corner. <laughs> so yes, I went down to the marina, and apparently fifteen hundred bucks a month, actually only about eight hundred and fifty bucks a month, got you a fifty foot pirate ship. But and I was slip. like, it's the slip that cost you. Yeah, I was like a pirate ship. I'm like, oh man, I'm making people walk the plank. This is great. I'm like, my office is going on the pirate ship, and uh, so I ended up since I kind of came to my senses, didn't buy the boat, but I bought um, like a luxury RV instead, like a 38 foot diesel pusher. And me and my dog just hit the road. And we just decided, Hey, let's drive all the way across the country and just meet with customers. I was like, I'll just use the list that I have, maybe 12,000 people or something. I was like, I'll just promote affiliate offers and drive around the country and promoting affiliate offers. And it'll probably burn the list out in six months. And then I'll have to figure out what to do. I, I, I met my buddy, Randy, the road bandit, who had also been RVing for about a year himself. And he was a video production guy. So I'm like, Hey, why don't you follow me in your RV? And uh, we'll just cruise around the country screwing off. Well, what I thought would last six months, just promoting affiliate stuff, dude, like two, three years in, I'm like, I still am just promoting affiliate stuff, making money. I didn't have to be a product owner. I didn't have to run a business. I just, you know, would run a promo, make 40,000 bucks here, make 16,000 there. And, um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a huge, you know, I wasn't making millions of dollars, but I've always been way more interested in making a couple hundred grand a year with no stress than I have been worrying about a bunch of employees, office spaces, um, obligations to customers, things that would kind of give me anxiety. I was like, this is brilliant. I love this. Well, here's, here's another one. Um, this one's a little bit ahead, but I think this one kind of opens up uh, a question just about, you know, has things changed? And it's, uh, this one is, uh, I want to share with you two really profitable things with you today. Just about everybody I know crushes it with the internet is still using email marketing. And while it may be losing its effectiveness with some, some of us are handsomely stashing away piles of loot, doing the same thing we've always been doing, but with a twist. And then it says, number two, mind of money. Did you know the number one secret the Kardashians use to summon more wealth to their bank accounts this is why Las Vegas clubs hire the Kardashians to show up just for one hundred or for uh, one hour, and they get paid handsomely. And so, so the question is, even back then, I'm just going to give you the date. This was 2015. You know, we've gone through so many of these things. You still hold truth on email marketing? One hundred percent. Email is so different. So, like right now, I'm also in the crypto space, particularly the NFT space. And a lot of the NFT space, they communicate either on Twitter or Discord, maybe some on Telegram. Many of them hate email. A lot of millennials, you know, they just doesn't compute for them to even use email. Well, a lot of people don't use email, but most people still do in some capacity. And there's a completely different mentality when you sit down and open your email every morning. Because when you signed up and gave your email address to somebody, you basically said, all right, give me your best pitch. You know, I'm giving you my email. I'm allowing you to throw your pitches into my inbox. 
And when you open your email in the morning, you know, it's just a race to cancel out all the pitches, but occasionally some of them stick out. But the intention in which you opened up that email, you went into it knowing that you're going to be pitched by all these people. So there's this willingness to say, I'm, 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 I'm here to listen to what you have to say. But if I'm trying to sell to you on Discord or Twitter or Facebook, as you're scrolling, that's all interruption marketing. People are not in the mind. You have to be 10 times better to capture somebody's attention and drag them away from their ADD riddled, you know, routine, as opposed to in the inbox, you have kind of like this and it's not intimate and it's not, I don't know, but it's, it's different. And one of the, and then also I treat email instead of, I don't sell in the email, I entertain in the email. The only thing I try to usually sell in the email is the click. I try to create enough curiosity in the email to get the click, get them to the website where that does the actual selling. And so in the crypto space, and I've been trying to tell, I have, I have a group of guys called Hard Fork Media. There's six of us in it. And I keep trying to stress to them how important it is for us to build this email list. Because when something is popping off, if we have 50,000 people on an email list, we can just hammer straight to them and like, hey, you know, go mint now. And most people in crypto space, they are not leveraging that. I think that opens up a kind of a question that I was open questioning to is basically there's copywriting, right? You have someone's writing an ad, someone's it's going to put an ad in a magazine, someone's going to put something maybe on just a regular Facebook ad or something like that. And something that I think that you kind of brought up and maybe you can explain the difference as well is it, it's almost like you have a lifestyle copywriting brand. And that seems to be more or less what I've kind of followed you for a while. And just, it's almost like this lifestyle. Um, what do you think it takes to be that type of person compared to someone that you'd say it's copywriting that basically gets the ad in front of them, they go do the research, then they sit in and they do the, they do the actual ad to sell the product or something like that. Do you see that there's a little bit of forgiveness? Like it's a little bit more fun, but still has the opportunity to make just as much more money. What are your thoughts between those two things? Well, I think, I think people are rightfully like suspect of anybody selling them anything like right away, they just don't believe you. And so you have to give them reason to believe you. And I was actually watching a, a Perry Belcher video last night where he was talking about people buy your philosophy first. And if they buy your philosophy, then they'll buy whatever wares you're hawking or selling it to them. And for me, I think, you know, I wrote a book called Art, The Art of Authenticity. And I think that word authenticity gets thrown around a lot. Um, you know, it's very cliche and popular or whatnot, but we're all authentic. You know, it's not like you have to try to be, you know, it's like no matter who you are, that is your authentic self. But I think if you can really um, embrace that authenticity. And if you really are comfortable with who you are and you're willing to share that warts and all, particularly some of the, you know, people have watched me for so long online. They see me go through different relationships, uh, marriages and divorces. And uh, I've never really shielded those things from people, partly because it's therapeutic for me to have an outlet and be able to share. I don't want to I don't know. I've just always found it way easier to be an open book. And by doing that, 
you build connection with people because we all go through similar things in life. And so, um, you know, I'm not obviously going to connect with everybody. I'm going to turn some people off, but other people are going to appreciate uh, the sincerity. They're going to appreciate the honesty. They're going to appreciate that it's not always $5.6 million and look at me and look at my bands and look at this. And, yeah. you know, I, I show, I showed yesterday, um, someone was telling a rags to riches story. I'm like, that ain't rags. I'm like, look at my outhouse. I used to have to piss in, you know? Like, yeah. I, I, um, so it's very difficult to find people that are as real as I have been because most people feel like they have to project some type of image or character. And, and it helps to do that in a sense, but you never want to lose who you truly are. And I don't think enough people are actually comfortable with who they are. So they have to kind of create this facade or persona to get on. And when you can stop all that and you can be the same person now as in the podcast as you are when you turn it off, or even more importantly, like when you can act in the same manner out in public when nobody's looking you know, is that congruent with when the cameras are on? And I have always lived that. I've always lived my life in a way that I assume somebody's recording me and it's going to be shared. Do, do you feel like it becomes, um, because it's kind of a living and breathing thing, you know, guys like you, guys like Frank Kern, guys that have kind of shared those stories that have gone through, it's kind of a living and breathing relationship. Do you find yourself like, it's almost like if you're in a relationship, it's almost like you have another relationship on the, no, I don't want to say it on the side, that could come out wrong, but you kind of see where I'm getting at. It's like, you kind of still have this consistent relationship of an audience that you can, that's always there for you in a sense. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I had a, a, a big reality check yesterday, a, a guy named Richard, I won't mention his last name, but uh, he had messaged me and he's like, <clears throat> trying to give me advice uh, on, on Facebook. He's like, you know, it would really be beneficial if you would comment on other people's posts and, 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 you know, reach out and maybe like somebody else's things every once in a while. And I was like, Wow. I was like, I do. I, I actually go out of my way probably to connect with like 20 different people. And I genuinely will go through the Rolodex and just like, oh, and pick people that I haven't talked to. And I will look for something to genuinely comp. I, and, and for some reason or another algorithm, I don't know, but I apparently have not done that to Rich. I thought that I had, because I see him in my feed quite a bit. And I think he felt a little upset and a little ignored. And so when you have connection with thousands of people, um, wow. yeah, you, you do have these relationships in a sense. And, and I, um, you know, want to do everything I can to foster those relationships and make them is mutually beneficial for all of us. But um it's hard, man. It's hard to connect. Well, with what that a great example. People. What a great example, though, is that you really are sharing in a, a relationship. And then when somebody invests in you, they basically are starting to learn so much about your life. And then and at some point, they're like, would you want to say something to me? That, that's quite interesting. That, that, that is very interesting. Yeah. And I feel like there, there's personal responsibility that comes in everything that we do and everything that we say, because some people may really look up to you in a certain way. And maybe they are taking what you say and 
imparting that into something into their life and whatnot. So whether it's like parenting or relationships or the way you work with business partners or whatnot, I would hope that whatever I'm saying or doing, um, if it's inspiring somebody, that it's inspiring them to have some inner growth with themselves as well. And um, so I've always, as much as I screw off, I, 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 tell colorful jokes, inappropriate jokes. Um, there's a level of empathy that I actually feel like I learned it from Gary Vee about 12 years ago on how important it is that every person matters, everything that you say matters, and you never know what that domino effect will do. And like you might be you think you're just speaking to Facebook live, but you're speaking to a real person on the other end of that. And that person is connected to other real people too. Mm. And so you never know what impact you may have on that person's daughter and the way that daughter treats this other person. And so I, as much as I screw off, people might not really think that I hold a lot of personal responsibility in the decisions that I make online. Well, I think that that kind of goes into, you know, I think that a lot of people want to get into that um, copywriting flow. I, I like to talk about flow state and how cool it is about how they do it in extreme sports. Um, I think there's a book, I have, is it the, the Rise of Superman? It's an amazing book. It just talks about kind of the, the structure of getting into flow state. And I think that what you kind of shared is that you've kind of stayed in that flow state for a long time. And I guess my question would be that when you decide that you're going to then take on a project, you've kind of got this writer's personality that you kind of get out and you share. But then once you decide that you're going to take on a project, you say, okay, I've got to sell something. What are some things that start to go through your mind? Do you have do you have um, kind of frameworks that you already have set that you want to use kind of like a um, uh, like, I don't know, like a seven email sequence, whatever it may be. I was trying to pull out, uh, what's his name? Oh man. Product launch formula. I was trying to think. Oh, of Jeff, Jeff Walker, something like that. Do, do you have things that, that you've done for so long that you kind of are, are your staples for yourself? Say, look, this is a structure that I am going to add to this product. What's your, what's your, I, I, I actually, I, I follow some structures out there that have done really well. I mean, we've made millions of dollars just basically using either Russell Blunt Brunson's um, webinar, perfect webinar script or John Benson's VSL scripts and, you know, just adjusting them for our audience. But I, I think the, the thing that really helps selling the thing is really focusing on creating like these win-win-win relationships with like you and your partners or whoever you're working with, but also with the customers. And so it really boils down to becoming a much better listener. And what you're listening for are what are people's problems? And what is not only just the problems that they're telling you, but like the core reason behind why it is they're having those problems. A lot of people don't even know. They might say, you know, money is the issue, but uh, it's really if, when you drill down further, it's almost like, oh, well, they're embarrassed because their father was successful. And if they're not as successful as their dad, then then they're going to feel like their dad doesn't respect them or whatnot. And a lot of people don't even know what their deep, deep insecurities or problems are. And so if you 
no matter what the product is, is if you are focused on what is the problem people are having and how do you solve that? And if you can't solve that, um, who can and how can you find the expert to solve that? And when I mentioned listening, I rarely come up with the stuff myself. I tend to just listen to what people say, or I look at the buying behavior because the credit card statement will tell me a lot more truths than somebody's survey statement will. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will just look at where people are having problems and then try to come up with the absolute best solution. And then the copywriting, you know, there you're just making it as appealing as possible. And I'm fortunate enough to have the gift of gab and selling on the street since I was a kid. So, you know, if I, if I had to put lipstick on a pig, I could do it. Um, Did you hold the pig though? That's the question. <laughs> so um, the, I, I really been hyped on Alex Hermosi's book, hundred million dollar offers lately where he's just talked. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you're a salesman, everyone, it's one of the most brilliantly written books and, and it um, it doesn't surprise me to have it sitting right there just because, I mean, he just constantly talks about creating offers that people would be stupid to say no to. And so if you really care about the person on the other end, you're trying to stack on as many things possible, not to overwhelm them with just too many things, but you're trying to give them every tool possible to solve their problem. And if that is your centric focus, you're likely going to do well, but most entrepreneurs are little inward thinking. They're like, I, how do I get the money? How do I do this? How do I, I, and it's like, all right, I get it. We all want success. We all want things for ourselves, but put the customer first and you will be rewarded later for that. So I'm going to jump into a fun one for you. Um, NFTs. And so there's this, uh, there's an article that was that was written. It was back. It was two thousand. Sorry, it was uh, July fifteenth, I think, two thousand twenty-one. And um, it's uh, news of uh, new opportunities for crypto storytellers. Um, there's nothing uh, rich of people like more than trading commodities, and they start talking about NFTs and things like that. But really, what they do is they start talking about opportunities. So there's a pair of Singapore-based blockchain investors. Uh, they've announced $100,000 fellowships for cop, uh, crypto storytellers backed by crypto investors to write about the convergence of tech art and finance that NFTs represent. And I know that um, just following you and, and making sure that I did my homework and things like that, and um, you're jumping into a lot of the NFT space. Um, how do you see the storytelling going for NFTs and maybe some of the stuff that you're finding now? Well, it's interesting. A lot of projects they they kind of refer to like as lore because you know kind of they're kind of creating these weird little characters, and so they end up writing a lot of stories about you know like the dizzy dinosaur originated from this meteor or whatever the silly story is. Um, so there's that kind. Of, it seems it feels more like fictional writing um, as a copywriter. I look at most of these projects, particularly like the roadmaps, and I see so much to be desired. There's so much vagueness and like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this and build this and we're going to have a community that's going to decide what we're going to. And there's no specificity. Mm -hmm. And 
a really good copywriter can really, I think, do well by helping out a lot of these projects to not only add specificity, but add levels of direct response and just natural salesmanship and really explaining the benefit of the utilities. Like so many of these projects nowadays, they're garbage, you know, 90 some percent of them are going to be worth nothing in a year or two. I don't encourage people to invest in a lot of the hype out there because it's just a quick money grab for a lot of people. So I think right now, there's a lot of opportunity to really describe the benefits of exactly why this NFT makes sense to own. Mm -hmm. And most people don't do a very good job of explaining that at all. And whether, I don't know if that's answering your question per se, but. um, I think it's just opening up that there's a lot of, it's, it's almost like watching comic books come alive. And it kind of reminds me of trying to create a co- of these comic books and then the assets that you have that you can be attached to with these comic books. I had a conversation uh, with someone also on the show, Jeffrey Bennett, and we were talking about um, ultimately it, I was sharing kind of my concept. It's like, it's like being involved with the country club. And when you're inside the country club, you've kind of got this membership that's going to create more value. The asset's going to go up. Um, but you do need to play a little bit. <laughs> you need to be involved and you need to, you need to go and buy. If you've ever had a country club, it's like, you're always like, do I really need to eat that much food every single month? Because <laughs> they tell you, you got to buy a certain amount of food. And so, but the, the thing is, I think that as NFTs are going around, I think that just the conversation of what is the story that's being created and then can the story be executed? I think that's a little bit what you're talking about. Yeah, there's also multiple stories going on that makes it a little difficult. So you have like maybe, let's say 10 to 20% that want to be part of this country club, right? And they really love that community and they love it and they, and they want to build that asset. And then you have the 80 to 90% over here who are just trying to sell their country club ticket for two, two times what they bought it. You know, and and that's the majority of the market, as with any of marketing type things. It's people, they want to get rich fast as they can with doing as little as humanly possible. And so that's why NFTs are really attracted to people. It's like, hey, I want to buy something for a hundred bucks today and sell it for $400 tomorrow. And that story conflicts with the guys who just want to hang out in the community and be a part of that. So let's say that there's, 10,000 items in a particular project. Well, if you only have a thousand or 2000 of them that are holding it dearly and really cherish it, you got 8,000 that are messing up the prices and just tanking it and it's going up and down and whatnot. So a 10,000 piece NFT set, what you really need, you need 8,000 people that want to be in the country club for it to have any longevity. And very few projects have that. You need to break that 80%. Um, yeah. Kind of the, you know, Pareto's rule, 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 Pareto's rule. Pareto? Is it Pareto? Law. <laughs> That's a law. Yeah. Um, yeah um, you know, something like Board Ape Yacht Club. You know, most people would, no way are they getting rid of their Board Ape Yacht Club. They're a part of something very, very special. The only way somebody's getting rid of their Board Ape Yacht Club is they're like, yeah, I need the 250 grand. You know, but most people holding those are are holding them because they're part of something very special. Um, most NFT projects are not very special. 
I hate to break so it. Are you finding yourself being more interested in the collection and then holding, or maybe even making your own? Are you finding yourself wanting to create your own so, projects? Great, great question. So as a buyer, I'm like, I'm like the market 90%. I don't care about the project at all. I don't care about anything other than making money. Um, that's the reason. I mean, I, I'm not buying crypto dick butts to like to to um <laughs> you know I, I, I it's a pure money play. There are some projects that I actually do believe in that I want to support and I, and I enjoy being part of the community and and I, there's really no price that I I want to sell. As far as being a project owner and creating, I did create a project with Dave, my partner. And we were about a day before launch. We would have made a couple hundred thousand dollars easily. Um, it was a smaller collection. But as I was looking in Discord boards and looking at these other projects that exist, I realized that there is a big problem with being an owner. And that is, let's say I, let's say the collection is 5,000 NFTs. Well, people are all going to buy. The price is going to go up, but inevitably, like almost every single project out there, it's then going to hit some kind of Tipping point. max level, and then it's and then it's going to go down. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to have 4,500 people that invested in me, believed in me, and invested in me, and now their investment is going down. And I'm going to have to scramble and do all these things to try to provide utility and value to prove to them, hey, this is worth keeping Stick it on. Out. Stick it out. And, and so the, these project owners are stressed to the max. They they feel bad because they felt great originally. They, during the mint, you know, they made a bunch of money. Everyone was super happy. That lasted for about five to seven days. And then the tone just changes. And sure, they got the money. And some people, you know, that are just in it for the cash grab, that's still going to exist for a while. And there's going to be people that are going to go out and create projects and they're going to tank and the investors are going to lose. But I personally, do, I just don't want that responsibility. Like when I sell digital programs, marketing related or whatever it is, I can set the value of that product and I can deliver you what I think is, you know, if you pay me a thousand dollars, I'm a greater yeah, yeah, I always say five times. So if you pay me $1,000, I need to at least give you $5,000 worth of value. And if for any reason you are unhappy with that purchase, I will gladly give you your money back. So there's really nobody losing in this scenario. In NFTs, there's a lot of emotion involved. It's and a nightmare, man. Did I buy the wrong one? And, did, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of that. I, I could totally see that. You know, I'm so, yeah, this is... It's interesting. I mean, this is, it's, it's quite interesting. It's, it's changing the way we look at things. And that, that's reminds me of AOL. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, right now the guys that are in it, we're all kind of Guinea pigs and we're all kind of creating the foundation for what this is going to be. This is going to be so much larger than silly little animal pics and JPEGs. This is going to be how we distribute royalties to artists and musicians and that we'll be able to bypass ASCAP and BMI and all these companies that kind of basically rape artists and don't pay them adequately. And this is how we're going to transfer, you know, titles on homes. And we're not going to have to go to DMV anymore because your NFT is just going to 
to update automatically on your registration. It's going to like prove ownership of everything. And it's all open source where, you know, I guess this could be good or bad, but it, it it's going to change the game. It's going to completely alter the way our entire world works. And particularly as the metaverse becomes more of a reality, we're all sitting here with these VR headsets on. Um, it, it's going to be, everyone's going to own some type of NFT, unless you're a, a Luddite, you know, building log cabins and churning butter. Um, you're probably going to be involved in NFTs in some way, which is why right now I think the best business investment idea I have is to buy a ranch in Montana. There's no electronics whatsoever. You pay five grand a week to come stay in my teepee. I take your phone from you. You have to read a book or whatever, and people will gladly pay just to get away. Or going back and doing, you know, taxiing again. You know, it's like, hey, get on a bicycle again. <laughs> what the heck is that? <laughs> yeah. So the NFT space, boy, oh boy, it's um, it's wild, wild west. There, there are no repercussions. There are no cops to call when somebody rips you off. The scams are are rampant everywhere and very believable. I, I've almost fallen for quite a few. I have um had fat fingers and hit wrong buttons. I sent 900 bucks in Solana the other day to tether. And now it didn't, they, you know, you can't send from you have sense to Solana to Solana. I screwed up. I just wasted 900 bucks, you know, from a click, a bad click. And so you, in our course, in our NFT profits course, we teach very basic from, you know, the very, very beginners. We show them as much security stuff as possible. We warn them about um, all the pitfalls and give a really honest education of what the space is about instead of just promising like, oh, you're going to buy an NFT today and you're going to sell it for 30 grand profit. No, you're not. Very few of you are ever going to do that. Well, I think that's a great turning point. I think this has been an awesome experience. Where, where can they find you? What? I, why don't we share a little bit about what you just said there? Um, they can take a look at that as well. Um, where does that? Uh, where do people find you, Mr. Jason? Moffitt? Yeah. So if, if people are interested in the NFTs, they can go to nftprofits.com. Uh, as I'm saying this to you right now, uh, that site is not up. I think we're actually paying two grand for the domain today, but it should be up in like three days. Um, and then if anybody wants to connect with any of my other stuff, they could just find me at jasonmoffitt.com. Just Google my name. I, um, I frustrate all the other Jason Moffitts in the world because I dominate all the search results for everything. Which, well, I appreciate uh, your time, brother. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. This is another awesome episode of the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.